Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Hi, guys. Welcome to another week of the podcast. And this week is interesting, maybe something that's a bit more on the personal side than I might normally do in one of my solo episodes, but it feels fitting because I am recording this on July 2nd, 2021. And exactly one year ago today, on July 2nd, 2020, I moved out of the house that I shared with my now ex-husband. I moved out of the house uh, that my kids were in. I moved away from home and into a new home. And it was one of the hardest, scariest, and also exciting times of my life. And there's so many big, heavy emotions last year on this day. And I thought, man, I'd love to talk about what I've learned in a year of being on my own, in a year of being single. And maybe you're listening to this, you're like, well, who cares? There are people who are single all the time. But the interesting thing about my story, if you're not familiar, is that I met my ex-husband when I was 18, and I had never gone on a date before, ever. Like I had zero experience. And so when I got divorced last year, I found myself like beyond grappling with getting divorced and how painful that was and what it meant for my kids and the end of this thing, like just beyond all of that, like all of that, which is so much, I also was grappling with really never having been on my own, like as a grown-up grown-up. It definitely lived with a roommate in LA before I met my ex-husband. And then I definitely had I think a year in an apartment by myself, but even then I was, you know, 19 years old. Like I just had no idea what I was doing. So this was really the first time that I felt like I was a grown up, and I was single and I was living in a house and just all the stuff. It's a lot of things. And I feel like I've learned so much in the last year about myself and just man, what all what it all means, right? And so on the anniversary of this day, I thought I would talk to you about some of the lessons I learned. When I was journaling this morning, I, I was journaling like what I had learned in the last 12 months, and I'm going to talk you through them now. And 
maybe you'll find it interesting if you're going through a big life transition, or maybe you'll just find it interesting because sometimes it's fun to hear about other people's drama, but this is what this week's episode is about. One year post moving out of my house and into a new place. So I guess where we should start with probably why it felt like such an extra big deal when I moved out. Um, There are a few reasons. So I think he has made it very clear that it was not his decision. And so I'll just say, I said that I wanted a divorce in May. And I said that I wanted a divorce after probably five years of us talking about it and trying and struggling and working and then having like beautiful, joyful seasons and like great things and exciting things. And then all the problems that were there were just still there. And I think, you know, really interesting thing that came out of having a public relationship and then a public divorce was I got a lot of really pretty hateful backlash from people. I I still try and not have anger about the fact that he didn't get any backlash, but that I did, Um, mostly from women. In fact, I don't know that any men cared, but um, just a large contingent of women who, you know, said that I was bad and wrong and evil and uh, how dare I do this thing. And what I find so crazy crazy, crazy about that situation is that nobody publicly knows what happened but me and my ex-husband. Nobody. And I made a very conscious decision to not talk about it. In fact, if you looked at social media at any time over the last year, one of us have talked a lot and it's not me. And I made that choice because I wanted to be respectful of my children because as much as my kids aren't on social, their friends are. And I also think social media will last forever. And so you could open up, I don't know, something 10 years from now and find what one parent said about the other. So I made a very conscious decision to not tell that story. And and I won't uh, because it feels like the respectful thing to do. And so I will keep that to myself. But I think me knowing what really happened and then me being publicly shamed for making that choice, it feels so hurtful. And a year ago, I was I was deep in it because I honestly never thought I, – I, I could see absolutely that our fan base might be – disappointed. Like I was disappointed when Blake Shelton and Miranda Lambert got divorced. Like I'm still upset about that. So I totally get being disappointed, but I never expected other women to, without any information, take sides and say hurtful things. And so I was grappling with all of these painful things of that are involved in in ending a relationship that has been going on for, at that point, had been 18 years, and trying to navigate the public. And it was so painful, and it was so hard. And 
it was in the midst of, you know, COVID was still at its peak. It was going nuts and we were still, you know, in lockdown on and off. And it just was such a wild time. And I remember trying to find a place to live. I'm just like going to be super honest about what this process felt like. Maybe if some of you are going through a breakup or going through a divorce, I don't know, maybe this will be helpful. But I remember that I needed to find a place to live and it was, it felt so impossible inside of COVID. And I just so desperately wanted to find a place that was good for my kids and could be a home and could be something that they felt comfortable in. And I was so, oh, I had so much anxiousness and insomnia of just like not being able to find a place because, you know, I told him the decision that I had made in May and I didn't move out until July. That's how long it took. And I don't know if you've ever had to live in a house or a place with someone you broke up with. And it, it was it was awful, so awful for us both. Um, not because we were fighting. And I think like when people, when there was backlash from the public or uh, people or friends or family would be like, we never saw you fight. Yeah, because that that's not our style. We weren't fighters. Um, we were the kind of people who talk through everything and still do, by the way, to this day. But just because you don't fight doesn't mean there's not a lot of pain there and a lot of resentment. And it was so, it felt like, I, I'm, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but it felt like torture. I mean, just every day in that space and both of us hurting so much and just having to see each other all the time. And oh my gosh, it was so hard. And the decision to move out of the house wasn't mine. I mean, ultimately it was mine, but essentially it was because I was the one who made the decision, then he felt like I was the one who should have to leave. And honestly, that like, I, I'm just going to preface and say like, I'm telling y'all like a very true and personal story, but there, this is not anything about him. Like, it doesn't matter how great people are as human beings. If you go through a divorce, it's going to be painful and it's going to be hard and there are going to be parts of it that are ugly. And so I'm telling you a very honest recounting, but it's nothing negative about him. And I think people get this wrong so often that I will tell a story about Dave and they're like, oh, now you're like talking crap about Dave. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm telling you my truth. And he has his own truth that honestly he's gone into quite a lot of detail about. So this isn't anything negative about him. It's just how it worked out. How it worked out was that I had to move out of the home I had made. And I at first felt so defeated by that. I, I don't know if any of you have experienced something similar, but I felt so defeated. Like I just kept thinking there's not a pillow in this house that I didn't choose. There's not a painting on the wall that I didn't get at a flea market, you know, in LA 10 years ago. There's There's nothing here that I didn't like put and make as part of our home. And so 
the idea of leaving it felt just absolutely insane to me. I will say in retrospect, I am so grateful that it worked out the way that it did because I'm probably going to get so much crap for this and he would laugh at me. But like, I don't know that he would have been able. Yeah, he would have been able. But like, I don't know what kind of job he would have done at like trying to like go make a home, especially during COVID. Not to say that men can't decorate, can't make homes. They do it all the time. But honestly, I can't, like, we laughed about it later. Like, oh my gosh, like you, what you do you even know where to buy a sofa? Like it would have been hilarious. So it actually, for what it's worth, if you are going through something like this, maybe that's a way to reframe it. I had a girlfriend who went through a divorce about six months after I did, and she's so sad about moving out. And I was like, yeah, but you can make a whole new, beautiful home for your babies. And he might go and just make like a bachelor pad right? And my parents were divorced. That's what my dad did. My friend's parents, same thing. That's what her dad did. She was like, oh, you're right. Yeah. At least this way I can make something that I know the kids will feel really comfortable in. So it was hard and it sucked, but it was what it was. You know, divorce is painful. Moving into this place, I feel like I was guided by God, by angels, by (laughs) my guardian angels, because when I started looking, I I was so, oh my gosh, I was so nervous. I could not figure out. And I was going to go do this thing by myself and I had to find a place that my kids would like. And to be honest, I was really scared to live by myself when the kids were with their dad. I just had all of these fears. And when I started looking, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then randomly, except I don't believe in random, I happened to like find this little house in a search for something. And the pictures weren't very good. And I was kind of like, what is this? And I just sent it to my friend. I'm like, hey, do you think we could get, you think we could try and go look at this one? And so we looked, I, I took Jackson with me, which I highly recommend if you have kids. That was a big and important thing was him being able to feel like he was part of the process. Uh, the other kids, the other boys, you know, were like sort of like whatever, but Jackson really cared and I took him with me. So he had an opinion and every, Jackson's my oldest. So he had an opinion and everything. And we walked into all sorts of places and I just, honestly, it just like each one was sort of more discouraging than the rest. And I thought, oh Lord, I'm going to end up having to get a bachelor pad like my dad, even though <laughs> that's not what I want to do. And then we came to this place. And I remember walking through the house and there was a little garden on the side yard and that just made my heart swell. And I walked out to the back patio and I just like had this clarity in my mind of I'm going to sit on this back patio and I'm going to heal. And it wasn't, it still isn't the most ideal house. Like it's pretty small for me and four kids. And (laughs) Noah's bedroom, it was like an office that was converted, but like I made it cute. Don't worry. The boys have to share a room. Like it's not what they have at their dad's. There isn't a pool. There isn't a trampoline. There isn't go-karts. There's like all, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles, but 
it is this sacred ground for me. And it really is that moment of clarity of like, what do you need? Like, what's the intention? What do you need out of this? And what I needed was safety. What I needed was a feeling of security and I needed a place to heal. And that is a really important thing to ask, I think, in a process like this. And I know that even me having the ability to go get another place was a huge deal because I walked through this with my girlfriend where, you know, she was a homemaker. She was a stay-at-home mom and was and still is dependent on her soon-to-be ex-husband. And it is so scary for women who don't have financial security or their financial security is wrapped up in someone else. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I have counseled women in my community who have a partner who's abusive or who have a partner who cheats on them or who have a partner who, and they have stayed far longer than they should because they don't have another option. So even having the ability to go somewhere else was massive. And I don't take that for granted for a second. I, when I moved out, which was a year ago today, because I, I, you know, signed the paper, whatever, got to, to move into this place. When I moved out of the other house, I took my clothes and some family heirlooms. It was, uh, I loaded up my car. I think I did two or maybe three car loads and I took nothing else. And I made that decision because I remember when my parents would split up and they split up and got back together a lot. But I remember when one of them would move out that they would like take the sofa or like take the pictures off the walls or just, it was always so stressful as a little kid to sort of see your house get pulled apart. And so I made the conscious decision to only take things that really had very special value to me and that wouldn't disrupt the home for them. And I think like, there's still a part of me that gets a little sad, <laughs> uh, like just to be honest, of, this is maybe sounds weird, but like the kids' rooms at the other house are so, oh man, I did not know this was gonna make me emotional. What a, wow. Their rooms are so beautifully decorated. And I work so hard um, to like, figure out themes and like, oh, we worked with like the most amazing decorator and like, it was such a big deal. And I remember when there was, those rooms were done at the old house, like I was so proud because I never had anything like that. I had like hand-me-down furniture and like just never. And I was so proud of how beautiful their rooms were and how they like spoke to their personalities. And it's still makes me really sad that they don't have that here yet. Yeah, like they don't have that here yet. And I say yet because I hope that someday they will. But, you know, it was when we first moved here, it was so hard to get anything. I don't know if any of y'all had to move in COVID or like get furniture or whatever. It was so impossible. I remember like I did not have furniture for months month. And I'm not, for months I didn't have furniture. I had a roof over my head, thank God. And I had mattresses on the floor. Thank God for that. Cause the very first night I moved here, I slept on the floor. I had literally nothing. 
I remember every piece of furniture that would come in, I would literally like bawl, like sob crying. Like when I got a sofa, I cried because I just was so grateful for every piece of furniture. And I, you can't understand it unless you've lived through it. You just can't. To, to not have those things or honestly, you know, they would come from this like amazing house at their dad's and then they'd come here and I like had nothing. I had like a table set up, right? Or we could like play board games. And man, did we play board games. But it just made me sad. And there are still parts of it that make me sad because, you know, you don't want to be like the place that is not as fun. But I feel like in terms of stuff, like having stuff, my house definitely isn't as fun as the other house they get to stay in half the time. But it for sure is fun in terms of, energy and joy and play and laughter and watching movies and hanging out with each other and cooking and eating and like we have found a way might not be in a well-decorated room but (laughs) we have found a way and we have gotten so close I think that's something I could not possibly have fathomed before all of this is how close I would become with my kids I was so close to them before And it is not even comparable to the relationship that we have now. We're sort of like we were in a bunker together, you know, because of COVID and then going through the divorce. And I just wanted to be present for them and I wanted to make sure that they were okay. And that has been beautiful, guys, as much as, God, it sucked. It sucked so hard to go through all of those things. Coming out the other side is like, these relationships, I'm, I don't know if I ever would have had. So there's some goodness there. I think the thing that I, I didn't anticipate, but I want to make sure and talk about in case any of you are in this is how much time I spent alone. I really process by myself. I do not like to process in a group. I don't want to do it with my friends. I don't want to talk it out. I really need to process and think and journal. And that is how I get through things. And I was alone. I was either with the kids because they they're here half the week. So I was with the kids half the week and then they would go home and I would work and then I would be alone. And I was by myself alone with my thoughts for months and months and months and months and months. And I think that it was the most important part of this process. And I have walked with a lot of friends through breakups this year and divorce this year. And I have seen so many people immediately jump back into a relationship and everybody gets to process and deal however they need to. But I I just can't think of something that would have been worse. And, and I get the why. Like, if I started dating right away, if I started going out with my friends and, like, drinking and living it up and doing whatever, it would have been an amazing distraction. I would not have had to think about how sad I was, how angry I was, how hard it was, how, how confusing it was to, like, go through a divorce and deal with attorneys and figure out financials. And, like, it was so overwhelming to me. And I— one million percent could have distracted myself in a bunch of different ways. And I just sat in it. You know, if you read my last book, which is all about 
going through a hard thing, I talk about sitting in it. You got to sit. You got to allow yourself to feel how painful these things feel. What did I need to learn? What am I still learning from this process? And I went through every emotion there was, and I just made myself, like I told you, sat on that back patio. I mean, hundreds of hours have been logged on my back patio just thinking or crying or praying or journaling or just trying to get myself to, you know, raise above the pain that I was in in that moment because I have to suck it up because the kids are on their way or I've got to go make dinner. I've got to do bedtime or whatever. And it just, I spent a lot of time alone. I was talking to, if you all heard when I interviewed Jay Shetty here on the podcast, he's become a very sweet friend. I actually just got to hang out with him in LA earlier this week. And, you know, he and I talked about this idea of when you're alone, there are two ways that people describe it. Some people call being alone lonely, and some people call it solitude. And one of those is empowering and and intentional. And one of those, lonely, feels immediately sad or wrong. And I actually think there's something incredibly valuable about being alone with your thoughts. Not to say it's easy all the time, but I, I spent a lot of time by myself. And let's see, 11 or 10 months before I started dating again, just like alone. And the first, like I remember my girlfriend who was going through divorce, she was like, how long until it doesn't feel like you want to die? Like how long until it doesn't, you don't wake up every day and remember and just want to crawl back in bed? And I was like, six months. Yeah, I would say four months of really feeling like you have no idea how you're going to survive. And then two months where it's still really bad, but you can manage a lot better. And then you start to feel better and you start to feel hopeful. And to be honest with you, I started dating in March, but like never, ever with the intention of it being anything serious. I think you guys maybe heard me talk about this or maybe you saw it on Rach Talk on the YouTube channel. You know, I told you the story about like, I got on a dating app, but I got on a dating app because I wanted like friends to go out with, not because I wanted to make out with somebody. And P.S., that was terrifying for me to figure out how to date again. And it just so happened, or I guess, again, I don't believe in coincidence here. It didn't just so happen, but I just, the first person that I became friends with, I ended up falling in love with. And I think that's because God, in her infinite wisdom, was guiding this process and knew the kind of person that I needed to, you know, kiss for the first time when I didn't know what I was doing and I was freaking out and like, I didn't know where to put my hands or I just, you know, like, it's crazy. And I'm so grateful for the beauty and the serendipity and how it all came to be. But there is no way, no way that I would be healthy enough to be in this beautiful relationship if I hadn't spent all those months by myself processing things. So if you have to go through something hard like this, I hope you will allow yourself to to sit in it for as long as you need. I think, you know, it is sort of like the hot topic. I get 
a bajillion DMs about this and lots of comments and questions on YouTube and everybody wants information about dating and what that's like and the boyfriend and the whole thing. And I'm making a really conscious decision. I'm fine to talk about it because I think, number one, I think it's hilarious because you would not even believe how freaking terrible I am for all that I'm confident. And I think I like am cool and I know what I'm doing. I was such a freak in the, I was so nervous. I was so anxious for months. I like couldn't speak. Same person, same man, same situation. Like it's a shock. It is beyond belief that this human like kept being like, yeah, let's go on another date. Because I would just like, I would literally just like stare into his eyes and like feel like I was dying. Like, why are you so beautiful? And then I would just, it was ridiculous. It was just ridiculous. Just let's go with that. So it's a miracle that anybody wanted to keep talking to me, even though I was so clearly not good at dating. But I am being very conscious of this is something so precious. And my last relationship, I didn't know better. And so it was it was so present on social media. And it was something I talked about so much. And I just, something as precious as your love, I just, I want to be very careful with how and when that is out in the world. And it's so funny to me when we're out at a restaurant or like we're taking a walk or we're getting coffee or whatever. And I see, you know, a listener of the podcast or I see a a reader, a fan or whatever, see us and realize like, oh, this is, (laughs) this is the guy. And it's so, it just, it makes me really, it makes me really laugh because I feel like people feel like they have some sort of like insider thing of, of this person. And I know there's like, blogs about it and like random internet things about who I'm dating, but I just, it's just this sweet, precious thing. So I'm just being really, I'm keeping it real close to my heart. So I'm talking about dating and what that looks like, but I'm not really like talking about who he is or any of that stuff. So just, I know there are questions, but that's the why in case you're wondering. The last thing that I'll say about what I have learned in this year that I feel like is so powerful and I think is sort of something we've all gone through, even if you weren't going through a breakup or moving into a new place, is I am really loving the reminder that you can redefine and reframe your life at any moment. In 2020, we were forced to redefine and reframe our lives, right? COVID meant that whatever we thought was true wasn't, and things we thought could never be taken away were. And I never thought I'd get used to wearing a mask. I never thought that I would be in lockdown. I never thought that I wouldn't get to see my friends for months and months. I never thought that we would live in fear. Like there's a million things that happened that I never thought could happen. Our whole world got shifted on its axis. And what I'm reminded of is that in the world getting shifted on its axis, I made a decision that was the right decision for me. And I know that that is such a bold statement. It freaking shouldn't be. But I made a decision that was the right and healthy choice for myself and my children. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of the choice that you make for yourself, 
whether or not you have kids. You are allowed to make change. You are allowed to ask for more. You are allowed to demand that someone keep their word. You are allowed to speak your truth. You are allowed to have the same rights that your partner does. I think a lot of times, this is nothing. I love men. I'm raising three of them. Like, this is nothing against men. I have so many, my closest, like, guy friends. Like, I I love, I love men. I'm not bashing men. But so often, women are scorned for wanting literally just what is equal to what their husband or their boyfriend gets from them on the regular. So you are allowed to ask for whatever you need. And if you don't get it, you are allowed to have an issue with that. And, you know, maybe you do what I did and it's years of conversations and trying and working and doing what you can. And maybe you find a way. Maybe you do fix the pieces that are broken and it becomes something more beautiful and stronger and greater than it was before. That's amazing. So freaking amazing. But also if it can't, because sometimes it's not meant to keep going. I was thinking about this today, like, I can't remember if I told y'all, I think I told y'all that I got to meet Dave's girlfriend finally. And she's so sweet, so kind, like exactly, you know, what I knew she would be. And to see them together and they're so happy and they complement each other so well. And I think of me and my boyfriend and how I never could have like written, I could not have written a script of the kind of man that I would want and need because I literally didn't even know that this kind of human existed. I wouldn't even have known to ask for him. And But now being with him and then Dave being with Heidi, I'm like, oh, yeah, clearly. If this is who you move on to, and we moved on to people that were so different from each other, but so complimentary of who we are, it's such an example of the fact that it was, it had run its course and that's okay. Not only is it okay, I think it's beautiful. People want to look at a divorce and see that the, oh, it ended after 18 years and it's a failure. No, it's not a failure. I consider my marriage a massive success, a massive success. We have four beautiful children. We're still friends. We're still a family. We are making choices now that are better for us. And if they're better for us, that means they're going to be better for the kids. And so, okay, there are conservative people who don't believe in divorce and who, great, then you live that out in your life. But those people don't get to tell you or me or Dave or anybody else how they get to show up in the world or what's right for them or what's good for their family. And I just want to encourage you, man, if you're going to have to go through something like divorce, you're going to have to go through a breakup. I freaking hope that you can come out of the other side of it with a clearer idea of who you are. If you're going to have to walk through hell, I hope you come out the other side forged in the flames. Like, oh yeah, I went through it and I didn't go through it for nothing. I went through it so I can live an authentic life as myself. So I sit on the back patio now and I'm not sitting there to heal. I'm sitting there celebrating this beautiful life that I get to live. And it's still hard and it's still complicated and it's still messy. 
There's still four kids that are screaming and it's still navigating, you know, ex-husbands and new girlfriends and boyfriends and Thanksgiving and we're all together and what is this like? There's still so much messiness in this, but it's good. And I am telling you guys, a year ago today, I slept, I'm, I'm, I'm taping this for you in my bedroom. And I remember sleeping on this floor, this wooden floor, and I had a pillow and two blankets And I remember feeling so discouraged, like, what the hell am I going to do? And I remember crying that night. And I also remember, even in the pain, I remember this knowing or this voice deep inside of me that just knew that this was right. I'm saying that in case there are those of you who are in something that is painful And you just need to listen for that still small voice that is speaking to you and guiding you through the time that you're in. That voice is there. And it was here with me a year ago. And it's here with me now. And if you're in a really hard season, like I was a year ago today, I want you to know it gets better. It gets better. If you do the work and you honor yourself and you're graceful with your heart, and you strive to love yourself well and take care of yourself well, it will get better. And you are strong enough to keep going. I love you guys. I hope this was helpful. I hope that if you are going through something similar that maybe it spoke to your heart. And if you know someone who's going through something similar, I hope you'll consider sending them this episode to listen to. If you liked it, it would be so wonderful if you would check in on social, take a screenshot of today's episode or share it in your Instagram stories. Tag me so I can see what you're saying and interact with you. And there is a hotline for the podcast. As always, if you have questions, if you want to follow up, if you want more detail, I love doing Q&A podcast episodes. So uh, the hotline is, the number is in the show notes. If you want to check it out, you can call in and leave me a voicemail. You can do it anonymously if you want to, or you can tell me your name. Maybe we could even have you on the show and we can talk about your question, but uh, the hotline's in the show notes. And yeah, I hope you have a blessed week and that you're enjoying whatever part of the year you're listening to this in. And until I talk to you next time, I want you to know that I love you and I'm rooting for you. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. Our show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with additional production support by Sterling Coates. Our executive producer is Cameron Berkman. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is a 3% chance production.